There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted Philly. In almost two years, I haven't had much of an opportunity to provide episode updates. Most of the true crime stories I share are cases that have long since been resolved. Whether or not we agree with that resolution is a different story, but these are often closed cases. And ones that aren't closed, like the disappearance of Barbara Miller, well, there haven't been new developments in the investigation. That changed last week when news broke about Jordan Anthony Brown. When he was just 11 years old, Jordan was arrested for the murder of his father's pregnant fiancé, Kenzie Hoke. I'll provide a synopsis of that episode here, but if you haven't listened to episode 47, The 11-Year-Old Adult, please go listen to that before tuning into this episode. And before I continue, yes, I know my voice is a little scratchy. I've been fighting a horrible cold for probably about a week, and I didn't want to let any more time pass before you and I had the chance to sit down and catch up. Jordan lived with his father, Chris Brown, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, his father's fiancée, Kenzie, and her two daughters. Kenzie was a little over eight and a half months pregnant with her and Chris's first child. On Friday morning, February 20th, back in 2009, Jordan and Kenzie's oldest daughter, Janessa, got up, got dressed, and headed out the door to catch the bus for school. Jordan's father, Chris Brown, left for work around 7 a.m., which was his typical schedule. Jordan and Janessa left for school about an hour later, around 8 a.m. Kenzie Hoke's youngest daughter, Adeline, who was just four at the time, was still sleeping. At about 9.30 that morning, Adeline woke up and looked for her mother. She found Kenzie still in bed. Adeline likely thought her mother was sleeping and tried to wake her, but she couldn't. Four-year-old Adeline found Kenzie's lifeless body lying in bed. Kenzie Hoke died as a result of a gunshot wound to the back of her head from a 20-gauge shotgun. Police found a shotgun in the upstairs hallway in the Brown home. It belonged to 11-year-old Jordan. He shot competitively. He practiced target shooting almost every day with his father outside their farmhouse, and he'd recently won a juvenile shooting competition the previous weekend. Further search of the Brown home turned up a shotgun shell outside the property. At 3 a.m. on Saturday, February 21st, police arrested 11-year-old Jordan Anthony Brown for Kenzie Hoke's murder and the murder of her unborn child. At the time of the murders in 2009, Jordan was one of the youngest children charged with murder in the United States, and he was the youngest in Pennsylvania. Less than three months after Kenzie's murder, Jordan was arraigned in court, and he spent over two years in a juvenile detention facility while his attorneys took the case to the state Supreme Court in an effort to have him tried as a juvenile. Although they were eventually successful in those efforts, Jordan's trial didn't begin until April 2012, at which time Jordan was adjudicated delinquent. That's the equivalent of being found guilty in adult court. Jordan Anthony Brown's attorneys, his father, his supporters, spent years submitting more motions and appeals in an effort to get Jordan's delinquent verdict overturned because of a lack of evidence. Yes, there was a shotgun in the home. It was Jordan's. He fired it multiple times a week, either while practicing or competing. Yes, there was shotgun residue on his coat, the coat he wore while he was outside target shooting. But that was about it. 
There was no direct evidence proving beyond a reasonable doubt 11-year-old Jordan Anthony Brown shot and killed his father's fiance Kenzie Hoke. In the Pennsylvania juvenile system, delinquent offenders are held until they age out of the system at 21. They can become eligible for parole based on their rehabilitative progress, and that's what happened to Jordan. He was released from the Edmund Thomas Adolescent Center in June 2016, three months before the court ruled on upholding his delinquency charge. Jordan Anthony Brown was 19 when he was released from juvenile detention. He moved to Ohio and planned to go to college after his release. Jordan would have been on probation until he was 21 years old, but the verdict this month changed that. On Thursday, July 18, 2018, two years after Jordan was released from juvenile detention, the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court overturned Jordan Anthony Brown's conviction. In their ruling, they found prosecutors did not provide evidence that supported the delinquency verdict, convicting Brown of first-degree murder of Kenzie Hoke and her unborn baby. According to KDKA Radio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court justices called the evidence insufficient. They went so far as to state the trial evidence pointing to a shotgun in Brown's bedroom as the murder weapon supported an equally reasonable conclusion that gun wasn't the murder weapon. There was no proof the shot that killed Kenzie Hoke was fired from Jordan's gun or that Jordan was the person who fired the shot. In their ruling, the state Supreme Court called attention to the entrances and exits in the Brown home. The Brown family home had four doors, and the one they used the least was the front door. Jordan's father testified in 2013 that on the morning of Kenzie's murder, like every other morning, Jordan and Janessa left the house through the laundry room door on the side of the house across from the driveway. That was a point of contention because of where a shotgun shell was found outside along the driveway in front of the house. Another part of the investigation the Supreme Court thought significant were footprints and tire tracks on the driveway. I mentioned in the episode last summer there was a tree trimming crew on the property. The crew arrived after Chris Brown left for work and after the kids left for school. Crew members testified they saw two sets of small footprints around the back of the house and along the driveway. Most likely they were made from Jordan and Kenzie's daughter Janessa. But they also noticed another set of footprints in the snow, much larger than those made by the kids. And they weren't made by Chris because he left the house by that same side laundry door, got in his truck, and pulled out of the driveway. There was fresh snowfall after Chris left for work that morning. Not much, about a quarter of an inch, but enough to leave footprints. Someone had to have made those prints after Chris left for work, possibly even after Jordan and Janessa left for school. The state Supreme Court's ruling went so deep, their evaluation of the evidence and lack thereof included re-examining all testing done on the shotgun, the shell casing found on the driveway, pellets and wadding from the shells in Jordan's shotgun and Kenzie's wound. And what they determined was there actually wasn't any testing done on the wadding and pellets. A Pennsylvania state trooper offered what the state Supreme Court said was simply a comparison of exterior characteristics. Jordan Anthony Brown's hands and clothing were tested for traces of gunshot residue. According to the manager of the forensic science unit at R.J. Lee Laboratory, who testified at Jordan's adjudication hearing, whenever someone fires a gun, there are three chemicals present on their person or their clothing, lead, barium, and antimony. Eleanor Sample, the manager from R.J. Lee Laboratory, said at trial it can be said with scientific certainty all three compounds will be found if the person tested fired a gun. 
When Eleanor Sample tested Jordan Anthony Brown back in 2009, only one particle of a chemical compound was found on his jeans and on the side of his shirt. All three compounds were not present on his clothing or his skin, which indicated Jordan hadn't fired his shotgun the day Kenzie was murdered. The clothing Jordan wore the morning of Kenzie's murder were taken by Pennsylvania State Police, as were his sneakers and his shotgun. All were tested for the presence of blood, and there was none. Jordan's fingerprints weren't on the shotgun shell casing found alongside the driveway. The more I read in the state Supreme Court's ruling, the more convinced I became that Judge Dominic Motto did not give Jordan a fair trial. Dominic Motto was the judge who initially denied Jordan's attorney's request to try him as a juvenile, the judge who found Jordan delinquent or guilty of first-degree murder during his bench trial, and the judge who repeatedly denied Jordan's request for a new trial. I know that's a rather bold statement. It's based on my personal perspective after reading the incredibly detailed state Supreme Court's ruling and their reasons for their ruling. And I also can't forget all of the information that I uncovered about Kenzie Hoke's ex-boyfriend, Adam Harvey. Not only did Harvey threaten Kenzie's parents the night before her murder, but Kenzie had to change her phone number after over a dozen messages from Harvey threatening her and Jordan's father, Chris Brown. If you listened to episode 47, you learned about multiple restraining orders Kenzie Hoke filed against Adam Harvey. You also learned that Harvey, who only recently returned from North Carolina two weeks before Kenzie's murder, wasn't investigated. He was asked where he was. His parents said he was home sleeping at their house. That was it. Jordan told police he saw a black pickup truck parked outside his house on his way to school. Police said that couldn't have been Adam Harvey because they didn't see tracks in the snow outside Harvey's house. None of this means Harvey murdered Kenzie Hoke. But why wasn't he investigated? I can't answer that. As I mentioned in the episode last summer, there was a community member who runs an anonymous blog about Kenzie's murder and that of her unborn son and their belief in Jordan's innocence. In that blog, this anonymous poster said Adam Harvey's father was the commandant of the Marine Corps League in Pennsylvania. They believed that's why police didn't investigate Harvey. The ruling to overturn Jordan's conviction was incredible news for him and his father, Chris Brown. In an unexpected move, Pennsylvania Supreme Court has overturned the conviction of then 11-year-old Jordan Brown. We're ecstatic. Um, uh, we believe uh, professionally and personally in Jordan's innocence the whole time. Jordan's attorney says his father is grateful and happy and plans to appear at a news conference with Jordan on Friday, likely Brown's final chapter in this case because they say anything else would be double jeopardy. I hope the state police reopen their investigation and actually try to take their blinders off and, and find out whoever did this so that that family can have some closure and some justice. A former Lawrence County District Attorney says the court is not necessarily saying Brown is innocent, but that there wasn't enough evidence to find him guilty. Basically, she concluded uh, that there are other plausible explanations for how this crime uh, was committed and who committed this crime. Jordan Brown is now 20 years old and going to college at an undisclosed location under another name. We're told he's moving forward with his life, and his attorney says at some point his record will be completely expunged. Dennis Alesco, who was a member of Jordan's defense team since the beginning, has repeatedly said he hopes the prosecution reopens the case. I talked to a few friends about this news over the past week, and we all believe the district attorney's office in Newcastle County, Pennsylvania, will probably not reopen the investigation. From the moment they received the first phone call about Kenzie's murder, 
They latched on to 11-year-old Jordan Anthony Brown, and they never let go. Reopening the investigation into Kenzie's murder means they would be admitting they too believe Jordan didn't commit the crime, and I don't think they believe that. When I shared this story last year, I said I wasn't sure whether or not Jordan Anthony Brown murdered his father's pregnant fiance, Kenzie Hoke. I definitely didn't believe there was enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he had. Since then, I've moved beyond that gray area, and I don't believe he committed the murder. Kenzie's parents took this news very differently. In an interview with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Kenzie's father called the state Supreme Court verdict crazy. He said he and his wife were in shock, and as you might imagine, the verdict elicited very emotional responses from both Kenzie's parents. Kenzie's father believed he and her family were not well represented in the state Supreme Court case, and he thinks the court was, and this is a direct quote, a victim of a snow job. Kenzie's family does not believe there are any other suspects. They've never changed their mind about who killed their daughter. Like the police, they've always believed 11-year-old Jordan Anthony Brown murdered Kenzie Hook, and a byproduct of that murder was the death of Kenzie and Chris's unborn child. Although the news of Jordan's exoneration is a good story, it still brings up tremendous sadness for everyone involved. Jordan spent almost half his life in a detention center, away from his father and the rest of his family. Family members of his died while Jordan was incarcerated. Chris Brown, his father, had to watch his son grow up under a canopy of hatred while many in Pennsylvania believe Jordan committed what some consider matricide. He fought so hard for the last 10 years to prove his son's innocence, and eventually he was successful, but none of that brings back what was lost. Kenzie Hoke and her baby, the love of Chris Brown's life, and the woman who was carrying his second child, the relationship he had with Kenzie's daughters, who had to be raised by Kenzie's parents for the last 10 years. Kenzie's family lost their beautiful daughter and their grandchild. When Chris says this is all bittersweet, I get that. And I'm sure you do, too. As far as getting news of the exoneration, it was uh, kind of bittersweet, overwhelmed with joy, but still full of sorrow, knowing that, uh, you know, we really won't have closure. There are uh, people involved in this case that are sworn to investigate. I would just hope that they would do that. I would hope they would reopen the case and uh, pursue the actual murderer, who, by the way, has been walking the streets for nine years. If by some miracle... The Newcastle County Prosecutor's Office decides to reopen the investigation into Kenzie Hoke's death, I'll be sure to let you know. Maybe we could all encourage them to take another look. Now, remember, the Supreme Court didn't rule Jordan Brown couldn't have committed the crime. Their ruling stated, based on all the evidence, there was no proof he did commit the crime, and that the evidence supported the theory someone else could have murdered Kenzie. I've already told you what I think, which... I know, that's not something a lot of hosts do. But you already know that about me. And if you're still listening, I guess you're okay with my style. And that makes me really happy. I want to know what you think. Listening to this episode update, maybe you re-listened to episode 47. Do you think the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court's ruling makes sense? Or do you think Jordan Anthony Brown just got away with murder? I'll be looking for your thoughts on the Twisted Philly social media pages. As always, thank you for listening, especially today. Thank you for putting up with my horrible voice with this horrible cold. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.